You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program is pre-recorded. This is Women to Watch. I don't think you can truly change for the better in a lasting, meaningful way unless it is driven by self-acceptance. Women to Watch, sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams. Be inspired by women from across the globe. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given. Who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams. What I know to be true is that women were always meant to lead. And by shining a light on those doing it well today, my hope is that more women will find their own voice. Now, here's the owner, founder, and host of Women to Watch, Sue Rocco. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch. I'm Sue Rocco, and it's great to be here with all of you. Before we get started, I want to remind everyone to stay with us during the breaks where you'll hear from our exclusive watch team of corporate partners who bring news and information from their organizations and industries to the show each week. And we continue to be so very grateful for their support. If you are interested yourself in learning more about our watch team and how you can be a part of the show, feel free to email Taylor at womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two, watch.net, N-E-T. Now, I'm very excited and honored to welcome to the show, Elisa Brown. Elisa is the founder of Polite Tumor, which is a nonprofit that provides grants for young women under the age of 40 who've been diagnosed with cancer. Elisa, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. And sorry, just a short little correction. It's actually pronounced Alyssa, which is a a common mistake. You know what? I know a couple of Lisas, so that's going to be something I need to make a mental note about. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's great to have you. And um, you're joining us from Denver, Colorado, just so our listeners know where you are based, um, which is a beautiful place to be with all that fresh air. We love it here. Yes. First up and and most important, how are you feeling? How are you doing? Um, You know, I want our audience to know one of the reasons you're doing this really um, wonderful work is that you were diagnosed yourself with cancer at 31, which is very young. Um, So how are you doing today? 
Yeah, thank you so much for asking. Um, I'm happy to let everybody know that I am cancer free and I'm feeling great. Uh, I am now 37 and in the throes of menopause, which is just super oh. duper fun. So yeah. relating to <laughs> all of your listeners, both young and middle-aged, um, right. but otherwise feeling really healthy and well. Thank you. So I want to, you know, talk about your background a little bit. And um, one of the things that you shared with me is that you grew up with um, a really supportive family that placed a, a strong emphasis on working hard. Um, in what ways? In what ways did they do that? Yeah, you know, I have an awesome mother and father and a brother as well. And um, both of my parents come from grandparents who immigrated to the States before World War II. And I really think that that immigrant mentality was passed down generationally to, you know, put your nose to the grindstone and work really hard. And um, while my parents always believed in anything I ever said I wanted to do, uh, when I was little, I wanted to be a cheerleader. Then I wanted to be a fashion designer. And they always fostered that um, that drive and desire to dream big. And I think that because of that, um, I've never let anything be an obstacle for me. Like I've always thought that I could do it. And maybe it was an unrealistic belief that they instilled in me, but it certainly was ingrained in, in my being. And it's the reason why I've always gone after what I've wanted and worked hard to get it. You know, I'm always so fascinated by what, um, what traits we hold that perhaps come from generations before us. So having great grandparents that immigrated to the U S you know, to start over and have a better life. What, what do you see of them in, in yourself? Yeah, it's other than other than that that naive naive belief. I can do anything. <laughs> I know it's something that fascinates me too, and um, I know quite a bit about um, both sets of great grandparents. And here are some interesting facts that I think, or traits that I've inherited. So my great grandmother on my father's side um, was a bit of an entertainer, and I actually found out through my aunt that she, she was like a fire eater, um, which is just crazy. I know. I know. <laughs> That's the first. That's the first on this show. <laughs> right. They, they described her as a gypsy. Um, but I'm, you know, the first person from my family to leave the East coast and go West. And I feel like I embody her um, kind of like gypsy exhibitionist side. And then on my, um, on my mother's side, my, uh, great grandfather was an entrepreneur and, and I definitely through polite tumor have honed that entrepreneurial spirit. Um, my yeah. dad also started his own business. And so I think that it's just something that's been passed down through generations. Tell me, um, something else I know about you is that, you know, ever since you were little, you have this desire to make people laugh. And I wonder where that comes from. I know. I think humor is such an interesting quality in folks. And my mom always tells me that I came out telling jokes, basically. Um, <laughs> I think ever since I was a baby, she said I was just like a funny kid. 
And I have a really vivid memory of being in the airport when I was about four or five years old, entertaining folks in their seats, waiting for their planes. And I've just always loved making people laugh. It makes, it fills my heart. And, and I've used my sense of humor, both as a form of self-preservation, but also as a way to make friends, as a way to be a leader, as a way to be a great manager. Um, I think people feel comfortable when they're laughing. You know what? I thank God for funny people every day because I, I really, I mean, I think it's such medicine, you know? Um, for the soul. And it really, it, it really does, you know, help, um, take the seriousness out of life, which we'll be talking about, you know, the, the seriousness of it as well. If you're just tuning in, I'm speaking to Alyssa Brown. Alyssa is the founder of Polite Tumor, a nonprofit for young women who've been diagnosed with cancer. Um, so let's, if we could go to that uh, year, you know, you're 31 years old and, and you get that diagnosis. Can you tell us what that felt like? What was your first concern? Um, it was truly, it was, it was both unbelievable and believable. Um, and I know that doesn't really make sense, but I feel like there was this kind of like paradox happening inside of me where half of me was like, of like, of course I have cancer. I, I have a really strong family history of cancer. And I just kind of like felt it to be true in my bones when I was waiting to hear whether or not um, my biopsy was in fact cancer. And then there was part of me that was like, this is so bizarre. I feel like I'm not living my own life. I feel like this is a TV show. Um, and, and that I'm watching somebody else's diagnosis go down. I, that's, um, a common, I think a common response or thought, and, and you might, I've seen that in women I know, and you've probably seen that in women, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, of course there's, there's fear, there's sadness, there's, uh, questions around the unknowing, but more than anything else, I think like the initial response is just shock and um, acceptance or lack thereof. Yeah. We're going to go into our first break. And when we come back, I want to talk about how, you know, in the midst of all that, you decide to, to start a nonprofit, adding one more thing to your plate. Very impressive. Stay with us for our watch team. And we will be back with Alyssa Brown, the founder of Polite Tumor. Now the women to watch. Finance Watch. Finance Watch. At Penn Community Bank, we're committed to giving you the tools and resources you need to succeed financially. As women, we're no stranger to managing it all. A household, children, a job, the list goes on and on. But when was the last time you took a close look at your personal finances or your income in comparison to your spending and debts? If you've been putting your budget on the back burner, now is the time to take control. It's important to note that having a budget is not a bad thing. It doesn't mean you're in dire straits or have bad spending habits. It means that you're committed to your financial health. It's simply a tool to look out for yourself. Whether it's in a worksheet or on your computer, a paper in your office, or a simple note in your phone, keep track of your monthly income and your expenses. From your monthly income, determine how much will go towards bills, everything from rent to cell phone. Next, estimate how much you expect to spend in living expenses. 
This is a broad category and ranges from groceries and gas to clothing and entertainment. With whatever is remaining, allocate that money to be deposited into a savings account. Remember, there is no amount too small to save. By having this information readily in front of you, you'll be able to determine where you can cut back and where you could even increase. Budgeting allows you to discover and decide what you value. To learn more, visit PennCommunityBank.com. Penn Community Bank, here we are and here we grow. Women to watch. watch. Sports watch. Hey, everybody, this is Dr. Jen Welcher, and you are listening to Sports Watch. It's about focusing on what's in your control. Can't always control the outcome, right? That's, that's not in our control. You can't control the weather. You can't control the calls of the rest. You can't control a lot of things. But what you can control is the intention that you take into every situation. And that's true. If the why is right, the outcome is not fully under your control. But when you had a good reason, you can always go back to it and you can build on the things that may not have gone right, right? Like in your execution, you can get better about X, Y, and Z. But if you don't have a core, then when things go wrong, you always lose your way. And you don't have something to go back to and say, you know what, this is who we are. This is how we play. This is how we fight. And we're going to, you know, we're going to play go for it football, or we're going to go for a first down that we may not get. You have to know that there's a may not get it if you go for it. And yet when you have that core reason that you can go back to, there's always something to build from as you go forward. Follow me and all my adventures, or you can say misadventures, on Welter47 on Instagram or at jwelter47 on Twitter. This is Women to Watch with Sue Rocco, Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Welcome back to the show. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm speaking with Alyssa Brown this evening, and Alyssa is the founder of Polite Tumor, um, a nonprofit. Uh, you also have a, a day job, which we'll talk about that as well. This is not, you know, all that you do. And um, I wanted to start this segment off with your, you know, you get the diagnosis. It's such a scary thing to hear. How soon after did you um, decide? Gosh, for young people to have to um, battle this disease and and the financial burden, I'm going to do something about that. How soon after did you decide? Yeah, so I was diagnosed in December of 2015, and I went through a year of treatment. So I actually I started treatment in February of 2016, and then finished in February of 2017. And so between 2016 and 2017. Um, was when I was really in the fight. And I had so many amazing people rally around me to support me both emotionally and financially. Like you said, I was 31. So I was just kind of um, really getting going in my career. Uh, I had just gotten married. My husband and I just bought our first house. We didn't really have a ton of savings. And I was really fortunate to um, have a job with great health insurance, um, and friends and family that showed up to support. And I would say the, the turning point for me was when 
my employer, who I still work for, Boa Technology, they did a fundraiser for me without me asking. And they said, you know, use this money for whatever you want. You can use it for fertility preservation, or you can use it to go on vacation, or you can use it to do yoga or get acupuncture, whatever it was. And that freedom to have this bit of a, a financial cushion really opened up the opportunity for me to breathe and heal. And so I would say nearing the end of 2016, I had been writing a ton of thank you cards to people that had just been so generous um, with their time and, and their hearts. And, um, and a friend of mine, her name is Jen Arnold, she and I were kind of brainstorming different hilarious lines for these thank you cards, like, thanks for perking me up, uh, you're the tits. Uh, lots of just <laughs> fine boob puns. And I said, what if we create cards and we sell them and we do a fundraiser and then we give that money back to other young women that have been diagnosed with breast cancer? And so that's how it started. And we launched our first fundraising campaign around my last treatment in February of 2017 and, and raised $10,000 in the first week. And, and that's when I knew we had something like there was a real, there was a concept there and people really wanted to give to this cause and this mission. And so, um, that's when it all began. Well, what a wonderful company that you work for that would do that. I think that's really remarkable. Um, and you know what, we should tell the listeners where the, where the name came from, because I know there's a story behind the name polite tumor. Yeah, definitely. So when I was diagnosed and I met my oncologist, uh, she described my tumor as this very polite tumor. And I I was just like, my jaw dropped. I was like, what are you talking about? This is completely ruining my life. I need to have surgery. I need to have chemo. I need to have radiation. Like this is this is a very disruptive tumor. But I loved her sense of humor and um and i just felt like i connected with her when she said that like there was no filter and i'm the exact same way and so when i was in treatment i started a blog called my polite tumor so that people could follow along with my story and so then when we launched the line of cards and the nonprofit naturally polite tumor was the perfect name it, it is a great name it's an absolute great <laughs> name um so you provide grants and right now i think the the amount is for five thousand dollars each grant tell me how you find your candidates yeah that's correct so we provide grants of five thousand dollars to people under 40 who have been diagnosed with breast cancer regardless of their situation and with no strings attached and um, I am based in Colorado, and so we are a Colorado nonprofit and give specifically back to this community. I think as we grow, we'd love to be national, but we want to keep it local and accessible at the moment. And what we do is we partner with different providers in Colorado, so oncologists, social workers, breast surgeons, plastic surgeons, and, um, and depending on what we fundraise each year, we give that many grants back to our providers, and then they refer patients directly to us. And the reason why we work that way is because we try to cut out that time in the application process 
that can be really exhausting um, and mentally draining on the patient. So when the provider mm -hmm. refers a patient directly to us, we're able to cut them a check in a week. Um, wow. And if anybody out there listening is familiar with applying for financial aid, they know that it can take months to get a check yes. um, and a ton of background checks. And, and we really wanted this to be an easy process because they are already going through so much stress. They don't need one more thing. Yeah, that's so smart, Alyssa. And um, not only that, I think it would be emotionally draining for you and your team to be going through all the applicants and making decisions and having to decide who to say yes to and who to say no to. Yeah, you know, when I first started, I met with um, the executive director and development director of a nonprofit called First Descents. And um, I was a recipient of one of their programs. They provide trips to young adult cancer patients um, and kind of like experience the healing through the outdoors. And they were both really wonderful mentors. And the best advice they gave to me was to rethink that application process because it can be very exhausting on a nonprofit board. Um, both both emotionally and from a time perspective, to be saying yes or no to people when there's an everybody has a need. Yes. You know, like right. it's 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 hard to play that person and you don't want to be. So our goal is to be able to give to everybody in Colorado uh that's been diagnosed with breast cancer under 40. And in order to do that, we'd have to raise a million dollars, which I think is very achievable. And then we wouldn't have to turn anybody down. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, when we come back from the break, I, I want to talk a little bit more about, you know, kind of the industry of nonprofit, local versus national, I should say, and global, and how it's been effective for you during the pandemic and all that. Um, Stay with us for our watch team, and we'll be back with Alyssa Brown, again, the founder of Polite Tumor. We'll be right back. Now, the women to watch. Millet you have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Kern because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, <laughs> I could really use Current. <laughs> I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Terry Watch. Hi, I'm Carol Eggert, Senior Vice President of Military Affairs at Comcast NBC Universal. In the United States, there are close to 2 million military connected children whose parents have served since 9 11. 
So many of these kids have experienced the worry and stress from the frequent absence of parents due to multiple deployments to combat zones. And tragically, many have suffered the grief and trauma when a parent or guardian does not return. To help military children cope with the death of a loved one, the Tragedy Assistance Program for Survivors, or TAPS, is the nation's leading organization caring for the families of America's fallen heroes. TAPS offers support programs for children and teenagers grieving the death of a military family member. Led by caring professionals in the fields of child development, grief support, mental health, and education, TAPS Youth Programs provide safe spaces for military children to be supported in their grief, but while also experiencing fun, adventure, mentorship, and camaraderie. TAPS also relies heavily on volunteers to help support their events and mentorship opportunities. If you're looking for a worthy cause to support, consider donating your time to our nation's youngest heroes who embody resiliency, strength, and hope. As we close out this year's Month of the Military Child, see how you can help by visiting TAPS.org. You're listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Welcome back to the show. I'm uh, speaking this evening with Alyssa Brown. And Alyssa is a young woman who founded a nonprofit called Polite Tumor, um, which is really a smart, um, incredible nonprofit providing grants for young women and perhaps men. I, I don't know that it's limited to women. Correct. Everybody. Yeah. Um, to help them with the financial burden at such a young age of, of battling cancer. And I was curious, Alyssa, your your day job as well, working for, uh, is it BOA? BOA Technology is also kind of in the philanthropic area. You, you're you the uh, what, Director of Community Development and Partnerships. So um, it seems this all the work you get to do is really um, in the arena of doing good and for others. And um, I wonder if you can talk a little bit about the difference between working locally in nonprofit and um, perhaps globally. My, my guess would be local. You have those connections and the network of people you know, um, but not all the resources, right? And then when you're venturing out to um, the, the globe, there's more, to ch- more people to, to pitch to, I guess. Yeah, you know, first I'll say um, I feel really lucky to do what I get to do day in and day out. I feel like I have a dream job. And um, a big part of of what I do at BOA is, um, is work with different organizations across the world. We have offices in Austria, Japan, Korea, Hong Kong, Shenzhen, as well as Denver, And so understanding kind of the social political landscape across the world has been really eye-opening. So I focus both locally on our nonprofit partnerships as well as creating an infrastructure so that our global offices can also create meaningful partnerships that ladder up to our pillars of supporting the environment and providing opportunities for marginalized communities. So I know that was kind of like can, a lengthy, can you qu- yeah. Oh, no, that's okay. But can you tell tell our listeners quickly what um, BOA Technologies oh, is? Oh, yeah. Because it's a very specific. Yeah, so BOA Technology um, creates a dial-based fit system 
Um, and we exist to improve athlete performance. And you can find us on snowboard boots, cycling shoes, helmets, um, in the professional industry. Uh, but really, uh, I would say at it, the most basic description, we replace um, traditional closures like laces and Velcro. So we like to say death to laces. We have a much better, more advanced solution to provide. Oh, wow. Is, is, I would imagine the company thrived through the pandemic because there's been such a return to, you know, outdoors and lifestyle and people just kind of wanting to get away from it all. Is that the case? Um, Yes, we're incredibly lucky. The company is really strong. Business is great. And we have really great partners around the world that have helped us through some of these supply chain issues that we're all feeling right now. Can you tell me, um, Alyssa, tell me what you've learned about yourself through this process and through these past six years that maybe has surprised you? Yeah. Wow. That's a big question. So, um, I think that, um, more than anything, I've tried to learn what's important to me. I think that God, as people, we are like always growing and changing and developing, and we need to be flexible with ourselves to provide space for that personal growth. And who I was at 31 is both the same and incredibly different than who I am mm-hmm. at 37. I would say 31-year-old Alyssa was maybe a little rough around the edges and didn't always consider... I can't imagine um, that. <laughs> I can't did imagine not always that. consider her audience when she was having a conversation oh. with people. Um, incredibly (laughs) unfiltered. And while, you know, you and I had a conversation earlier, um, about, um, leading with humor and while that's still very much who I am in my heart, uh, I would say I'm a bit more refined in my approach now and really try to pay attention to that inner voice, um, that is driving me to driving me forward. Which is a really good thing. And, you know, it's a lot about, um, we talk often on the show about it. I mean, knowing who we are as individuals is everything, right? That leads, then leads to success. Yeah. And I think it's really hard to quiet the noise. And I mean, I'll speak to somebody as somebody in their thirties, you know, um, there's this constant desire or drive to do more, be better, um, I don't know, succeed, uh, get to that next level in your career. And I think that when you can quiet that noise and look inward and really think about what you want, um, a lot of a lot of those little voices that are saying, do this, do that, go away. And the truth presents itself. No, I love that. I, I love the way you just said that because I do think there is an incredible pressure specifically on young people to be impressive, right? They're, they're, because there's so much spotlight on what people do today 
there is this desire to have that light shine on them. And, and as you just said, it's, it's the opposite that will bring you that contentment and peace of mind. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we're going to go into our last break. When we come back, I have a couple more questions around that and, and really just, um, you know, your advice for young people because of what you've been through. I, I think your perspective is really valuable. Stay with us for our watch team, and we'll be back with Alyssa Brown, the founder of Polite Tumor. We'll be right back. Now, the women to watch. Marketing Watch. Let's talk about the great resignation. Hi there. My name is Diana Barnes, or DB, as most people call me, and I'm the chief brand officer and creative director at Munchkin, the world's most loved baby lifestyle brand. Navigating your career during a global crisis is far from straightforward. Many of us, myself included, have taken stock of our lives, our jobs, and how we spend the time we have. We're always taking inventory of our decisions and making adjustments. But when monumental shifts occur, like a global pandemic, they can result in significant economic movements. Enter the Great Resignation. The Big Quit, as it's also known, isn't just an opportunity for workers to find more lucrative jobs that they can do from their living rooms. Instead, it's a chance for people to find careers in companies that fill their cups. At Munchkin, we strive to create a culture where monetary compensation is a slice of the pie, but not the whole thing. When employees feel good about their work, the causes their company supports, and the opportunities afforded to them, they tend to stick around. Workplace flexibility and compensation are motivation factors, but so are recognition, advancement, and education. Last year, Munchkin was named a great place to work certified company with 88% of our employees saying it's a great place to work. This accolade isn't a result of competitive salaries and flexible schedules alone. We strive to ensure that employees know they're valued, not just for the work they do, but for who they are. If you oversee a company struggling with employee retention, I urge you to tap into your brand's values and those of your team. In what ways can you bring more value to your employees' lives? How can you invest in them so they invest in you? Putting your employees at the forefront of your strategy will only benefit your company and improve the quality of talent you retain and attract. Now, more of Women to Watch with Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Welcome back. I'm speaking with Alyssa Brown. Uh, Alyssa is the founder of Polite Tumor based in Denver, Colorado. And um, her nonprofit provides grants for young people battling cancer. Alyssa, something that I read about, which I wanted to ask you about, um, young adults pay $20,000 more for treatment. Why is that? So many reasons, Sue. So um, I'll start, I guess, with the basics. If you think about a young person versus our, I'll say, plus 40 counterparts, we're speaking specifically about breast cancer right now, um, but this kind of applies to everybody, we don't really have a savings. Um, and so we're already kind of starting off with a, a deficit, but the challenges that young cancer patients face are different. We um, may not have had a family yet, so we're facing fertility preservation. And many insurance companies do not cover that. Um, we're just starting. 
the process of um, that policy work. And I think that there are some groups that are making some great progress there, but fertility preservation is about $20,000 alone, um, which, you know, there's your cost right there. Um, In addition Mm. to that, I think that young cancer patients typically have a higher deductible plan because they don't expect to be facing a cancer diagnosis so young. You're told you're healthy. You can be a little bit riskier with your health insurance. And so you end up paying sometimes $5,000 year over year out of pocket because you're meeting your deductible, which is just insane. I know personally, I've met my deductible for the last seven years. Um, And so that's, that's close to, um, I would say I'm nearing like $18,000 out of pocket. Um, So I would say, yeah, you know, family planning and fertility preservation and those high deductible plans are really driving that number. Um, But there are also Mm -hmm. so many other unforeseen costs, you know, um, usually young people don't have long-term short-term disability. Um, and so they're losing that money, um, until their long-term hits in if they do have a health insurance plan. And then also a lot of young people just don't even have health insurance. Yeah. They don't, they just don't feel that anything, you know, as most humans do, it's not going to happen to me. Tell me, what have you learned most about our healthcare system through the work that you've done that, I would say you would most like to see change. I mean, it's a big, complicated issue for the U.S. right now. And Mm -hmm. we all know that it's, you know, we need to change some things. What's at the top of your mind that you'd like to see change? I think access would be the word that comes to mind for me. Um, Our healthcare system feels very... um, unfair and biased. And um, if you look up stats on, you know, how women of color are treated in the healthcare system versus um, white women, the the statistics are astounding. Um, Black women are five times more likely to die of a breast cancer diagnosis than a white woman. And um, so I would say at um, at the core of it, what I would like to change is is access to um, equitable health care. I think everybody needs to be seen as a person and and heard and believed when they raise the flag and say something's wrong. When you um, experience this or, or learn about it, do you ever think about entering into that arena of of politics, policy, uh, or, or do you want to just kind of stay where you are? I'll leave that to the experts. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I right. Who wants to do that? Right. It's, it's no, look, it's really important work. Um, it's really difficult, um, and exhausting work. And I think that, um, there's a place for all of us to, to make progress and, And for me, I think that my skills really lie in fundraising and connecting people. And that's why Polite Tumor has been so successful. Um, And um, would I be excited to to fund policy and and to help make that change? Absolutely. Um, But I don't know nearly enough about the law to um, to participate. (laughs) 
Right. Exactly. Um, tell me, you know, if we have um, people listening that just want to know how you've been successful in fundraising is is so very hard, um, particularly at this time in history. What has worked for you or how have you managed to be so successful in in developing these partnerships and raising the money? Yeah, I think that's an awesome question. You know, fundraising is tough and it's definitely not for everybody. But I think that if you're genuine in your ask and you're able to create the connection um, to your mission and your impact, it's really difficult for people who are supportive to say no. Um, and so I, I think that um, creating that emotional connection is the most important part of fundraising. I think the most difficult part of fundraising is networking and growing um, your fundraiser base. You know, Polite Tumors started off with friends and family. And I think that's how a mm-hmm. lot of nonprofits start. And um, we are and have been trying to expand to different corporations, um, hospitals, and um, even looking for government grants because a nonprofit cannot thrive alone on individual contributions. The, the other thing is that the um, fundraising for cancer is just a massive uh, I don't want to say industry, but you know, it touches every aspect of society. There's, there's fundraising for cancer on multiple levels all of the time. So as a small startup nonprofit, what can you say that, you know, you think kind of will, uh, propel a small startup nonprofit to success you know, competing with some of these very, very large, you know, organizations that have been around forever? Yeah, you know, I think being transparent about where donors funds go is the most important thing that you can do as a startup nonprofit, but really, um, in any size, um, our donations go directly towards the grants that we provide. And so people know that their money is going directly towards supporting that person that's been diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, we're also an entirely volunteer-based organization, so nobody's taking a salary. And I think that people feel really good about donating their money to Polite Tumor because of those two facts. And not everybody can do that. Like you and I have been talking about, I, I have a day job. I hustle so that I can volunteer and provide, um, and provide that opportunity. But, um, you know, a lot of nonprofits are full-time businesses and, and they have staff that they need to pay. And so I would say understanding how to message that is also really important. Um, people need to make a living and these people are doing really great work and that work should be funded as well as their salaries. Right. I agree. And not only that, I think the transparency of what you're doing and the timeliness of these, these grants, it's not a long exhausting process. I think that's, it's a really great, great way you set it up. Thanks. Yeah. Um, that's the end of the show. I thank you so much for being with us and, um, I wish you continued success and so, so impressed by your story, Alyssa. Thank you so much, Sue, for having me. This was so fun. And if I can leave anyone listening with anyone, I would say be an advocate for your health. Listen to that gut feeling that you have and 
don't be afraid to speak up for yourself. Um, I hope, yeah, that's it. And keep laughing. And keep laughing, exactly. <laughs> keep laughing. That's it, everyone, for another week of Women to Watch. Thanks so much for tuning in and stay with us uh, for next week's show when I interview Priscilla Sims Brown, the CEO of Amalgamated Bank. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks for listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco, a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Kraus at 267-261-3428. This program is a paid commercial announcement and does not reflect the views of WPHD or its management. Today's program has been pre-recorded. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.